Hee Is this thing on? Yeah, that's on. Don't touch that. In the second week of May 2022, financial markets all around the world declined sharply. Rising inflation, persistent supply chain failures, shortages and delays, and oh yeah, the war. All of it brought to a close an extraordinary bull market that had roared since 2010 when the world exited the global financial crisis. A lot of assets gained value during that bull market, value they may not have deserved. And in that same week, the CEO of Uber wrote an all-staff memo which told them to focus on earnings rather than growth, dollars over riders. And that's a big shift. It's because now that that market has shifted, investors are being far more conservative than they were even just a few months ago. They want cash on the barrel. They don't care about promises of growth because in a bear market, all of those promises aren't worth the stock certificates they're printed on. And there's one particular corner of the financial world that is built entirely on promises, on the promise of value, on the promise of growth, on the promise that it's all going to continue to go smoothly. Cryptocurrencies. And in that same week that the markets tumbled well, according to one friend of mine, for the cryptocurrency markets, it was nothing less than apocalyptic. That's a direct quote. I'm not exaggerating. And this is someone who's not just a Johnny-come-lately. He's been working in the area since it started. So I listen to what he says. But I also listen to my producer, Josh, and he tells me he's out thousands of dollars because a cryptocurrency that he invested in, known as Luna, basically just went bust from $120 to $0.10 in a week's time. And I thought Josh was an outlier, but then another of my friends came to me and confessed that he'd lost a bundle on Luna. This friend had come to me last year and asked if he should invest in cryptocurrencies. I said no. Actually, I said, hell no. But he didn't listen, and he lost his shirt. Why? Oh, we all know why. When we hear stories of people earning millions because they bought the right cryptocurrency at the right moment and then rode it into the stratosphere, we all get a bad case of FOMO. And that that part of us, that's perfectly human because we're not perfect. We're secretly greedy. We want all the money. But it's just that. It's that need for greed that makes us crazy in the head. And when we get crazy in the head, that's when we lose all the money. So you need to ask yourself, are you crypto crazy? G'day, I'm Mark Pesci. Over the next five episodes, we'll take a look at the two biggest cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Once we understand what they are, we'll ask experts whether either of them is a good investment. And then we'll take a look at how you can buy them, or if you feel some pressing need to get rid of them, how you can sell them. We'll also explore how you can dabble in cryptocurrencies without actually taking any risks, and how you might safely store any cryptocurrencies you might own. All of this because right now, there's not a lot of clear thinking. And the best time for clear thinking is exactly now, when the markets are down, when it's all looking grim. Because that's the moment when even the most greedy among us are prepared to listen to a little reason. So let's get started. I have a confession to make. I have been saving for years to buy my first home. And I decided that I would put some money into Bitcoin as part of my savings. And all of that time, and that's been, you know, a fair few years, the price of Bitcoin was broadly where it was when I bought it. That was true until May of 2022. It's not true anymore. And as I record this, I'm down several hundred dollars. 
Should I liquidate my holdings, basically just take my losses and go elsewhere? I find that really hard to contemplate because somehow I want to believe that the price of Bitcoin will go right to the moon. And that right there, that is my own bit of crypto crazy. So let me say right up front, this is also an exercise in clear thinking for me. So let's start with what we know. What is Bitcoin? This is a topic we covered four years ago in the first series of Cryptonomics. We explained the idea of a blockchain and explained how Bitcoin rests upon a blockchain. Four years later, I've got a tighter, better explanation. Here it goes. Back in 2008, this person named Satoshi Nakamoto, it's probably a pseudonym for some person or some group of people, they shared a paper that described a way to give data, any data, three characteristics it's always needed. First, you can authenticate the data. You know definitively that this is the data you're looking for. Second, you can audit the data. You can peek inside and inspect the data and know what you're getting and know that it hasn't been tampered with. And finally, you can know that this is the original data and not a copy. Now, this was the real trick. We have known how to authenticate and audit data for several years, but getting data to be original because we all copy and paste data. We do it every moment we're sitting in front of a computer. Computers are copying and pasting data in their memory. That is how computers work. So how can you tell which is the original and which is the copy? Nakamoto said, it's easy. Just put it up to a vote. If a pool of people can agree that the data there is original, well, then it must be. It's truth by consensus. And when you put these three things together, you get everything you need for Bitcoin or any other currency, including dollars, to exist as data. Because you have to know that that dollar as data is authentic. You have to be able to count the dollars as data, that is to inspect or audit them. And you have to know that these dollars as data are not counterfeit, that someone didn't just copy and paste them to create more dollars. And in a world where copy and paste is the norm, that means that everyone holding dollars or bitcoins or what have you, they all get to vote on whether your dollars are the real deal. But conversely, it also means that you get to vote on whether their dollars are real. So everyone is incentivized to be as honest as possible about what's real and what's a copy. And that's it. That's everything you need to know about what bitcoin is. And it all works surprisingly well. So well that a single Bitcoin has gone from being effectively worthless back in January 2009, when the first Bitcoins were created, to being worth tens of thousands of dollars in 2022. That is a heck of a run, and it's enough of a run to make people a bit crazy. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about Bitcoin, what it's worth, what it means, whether it's good for humanity or it's the death of the planet. And on that point, because it is an important point, let's, let's just take a look at that. All of this consensus and voting and whatnot that Bitcoin does, all of it described by Satoshi Nakamoto, it uses a lot of energy. And that is by design. It's not a side effect. It's the way it's meant to work. Let's put some numbers to this. Back in 2021, the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance calculated the annual energy budget to keep Bitcoin up and running 
and that came in at around 120 terawatt hours. Yes, that is trillions of watt hours. A lot of power. It's about the equivalent of the amount of electricity consumed by Norway. Population five and a half million and a country where it's both pitch black and very cold for half the year. For something that's closer in climate to Australia, it's also about the equivalent of electricity consumed in Argentina, population 46 million. And finally, it's two-thirds of the electricity consumption here in Australia. So however you count that, that is a lot of energy. And that can mean a lot of pollution because a lot of the energy used to power Bitcoin is generated by coal-fired power plants, the very worst sorts of carbon pollution. Now, back in 2019, another study from a group known as CoinShares They indicated that as much as three-quarters of all of the energy consumed by Bitcoin was generated by renewable resources. That's good news. It still means that more than 30 terawatt-hours of energy are adding to our global carbon budget at a time when the planet can't really handle more. It also means that 90 terawatts of renewable power are going into powering Bitcoin rather than electric cars or heat pumps or whatever else we might need. These are not small numbers, and this is not an insignificant point. People make a strong argument that Bitcoin is bad for the planet, and I don't think anyone can really make a counter-argument. The counter-argument seems to be, well, it's not as bad as you might think. Well, okay... But if we're trying to be clear-headed here, we have to acknowledge that every Bitcoin comes at some cost to the climate. Now, that's true for most things we do. And it would be better if Bitcoin were all running on renewable energy. At least then that wouldn't be the case. It would still be sucking down a lot of renewable power, power that we will need for other things. Okay, so we know what a Bitcoin is, how it works how it impacts the planet. Now, let's hear the bullish argument for Bitcoin from Mark Jeffrey, who has been working on Bitcoin almost as long as there's been a Bitcoin. Take it away, Mark. So here is my bull case for Bitcoin. So, and it basically rests on the fundamentals of Bitcoin. It is provably scarce. There's only going to be 21 million. You know, really, if you sort of discount the 1 million, we'll never see. And the, the, the ones that are lost, 12 million, something like that. Because it's provably scarce, it resists inflation. No government can print more, so there's no way to go burr. There's no quantitative easing, essentially. You know, and the dollar has lost 98% of its value since 1913. So that, as we know, you know, Bitcoin is a very valuable thing in that world. Uh, and all, and 80% of all dollars in existence have been printed in the last two years. So your dollar is worth 20 cents right now. It's just not evenly distributed yet. Bitcoin is backed by proof of work. The energy is, in fact, a key part of what makes it secure. It's hard to mine. It's costly. And that provides the security of the network, the world's most powerful supercomputer by far. You'd need essentially another Earth to break it. So that's extremely valuable. With Bitcoin, you have uh, proof of ownership. If you have a Bitcoin, you know you have it. With gold, you have no idea, right? You might, it might be in that vault or it might not. You can't, there's no way to know for sure. Your Bitcoin can be on your phone, right? So psychologically, modern people like things on their phone, right? It is, it, it is of the age. It is of the zeitgeist. So it, you know, it, it makes sense to people in the modern age in a way that 
gold does not, right? That's from another age in the past. Bitcoin can be on your phone. It can be in cold storage in hardware. Uh, the keys can be sharded or the keys can just be in your head. So it is, it's very easy to move when you want to move it and very hard to move it when you don't. Uh, you can transmit any amount of it anywhere instantly, anywhere on earth. And because of that property where you can put Bitcoin uh, in your head by memorizing your private key, people from Ukraine were able to flee the country with their wealth. You know, you've never had an asset that you could just move around the planet like that. And when they get somewhere else, they can send it in any amount to anyone anywhere on earth in 10 minutes. Uh, and lastly, if you look at our current market conditions, um, it is in fact acting somewhat as a hedge against inflation. Uh, if you bought into the Uber IPO, if you bought in on IPO date, you have lost half your money. You're 50% down. Whereas with Bitcoin, you are 300% up if you bought Bitcoin on that same date. So even though Bitcoin's down right now, overall it is performing as we had hoped it would. Mark makes some strong points here. He knows his stuff. He sees Bitcoin as being basically better than other forms of money, at least the forms that we're familiar with. And for that reason, it is worthwhile. He notes that it just makes sense for people who have been raised on smartphones. Bitcoin is very much smartphone-friendly money. And even though it's way, way down in price from its highs, he's happy to point out that it's still a better investment than shares in Uber. So what does Mark think for the future? At the end of this decade, where will Bitcoin be? At the end of this decade, uh, I fully expect that Bitcoin will be at least a million dollars. I think that's the low end. I do believe in the sort of teal bull case that it does become the world's reserve currency. Uh, I, I think in the interim, we see it drop heavily and kind of get sucked down with everything else as fear takes hold and nobody believes in anything. Uh, but at a certain moment after that, there comes a time where people, they're not really worried about making money. They're worried about uh, not losing money as fast. And so they're looking for something that sort of half floats while everything else is being gobbled up by the ocean. Uh, and that's something because of the fundamentals behind it, I believe, will be Bitcoin. So I think that will be the, the, the life preserver. Uh, and as things start to heal and come back and people have now seen how resilient it was in a crisis, it does start to accrue mad value, especially uh, against an inflating dollar. So I think I think four million Bitcoin, five million dollar Bitcoin is not out of the question. So there you go. Mark does think that Bitcoin will continue to accrue value. And if you look at the historical trend back eight years and forward eight years, he might not be wrong. In 2014, the price of Bitcoin peaked at around $850. In 2022, Bitcoin had a peak of $47,000 so far anyway. That's a difference of more than 50 times. So if in the next eight years, Bitcoin increases in value another 50 times, well, that's around $2.5 million per Bitcoin. And I'm not saying this will happen, just if you look backward, it has. And that history makes a lot of folks who hold Bitcoin a bit crypto crazy. In a moment, we'll take a look at the other side of the Bitcoin. Okay, let's take a look at the bearish case for Bitcoin. And for this, we will turn to the most successful investor in human history, Warren Buffett. At the 2022 annual meeting of his Berkshire Hathaway Corporation, one of the shareholders asked for Warren's opinion on Bitcoin. And here's what he had to say. 
<laughs> I shouldn't answer any questions on the subject, but I will. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of people watching this that are long Bitcoin, and there's nobody that's short, and nobody, nobody wants their windpipe stepped on. I don't blame them. I don't like people to step on my windpipe. But I would say this, that if all the people, this, if the people in this room owned all of the farmland in the United States, and you offered me a 1% interest in it, and you said for a 1% interest in all the farmland in the United States, pay me, uh, pay our group. Well, let's see, 10 million, pay us this bargain price, $25 billion. I'll write you a check this afternoon, 25 billion. Now I own 1% of the farmland. If you tell me you own 1% of the apartment houses in the United States, and you offer me a 1% interest, so I'll have a 1% in all the apartment houses in the country, and you want another $25 billion or something, I'll write you a check. You know, it's very simple. Now, if you told me you owned all of the Bitcoin in the world, and you offered it to me for $25, I wouldn't take it because what would I do with it? Um, I have to sell it back to you one way or another. I mean, maybe I'd be the same people, but it isn't going to do anything. The apartments are going to produce rental, and, and the farms are going to produce food. And uh, if I've got all the Bitcoin, I'm back where whatever his name was, who may or may not have existed, was you know, 15 years ago. If I've got it all, he could create a mystery about it. But everybody knows what I'm like. I mean, so if I'm trying to get rid of it, you know, people will say, well, you know, why should I buy some Bitcoin from you? <laughs> I mean, why don't you call it Buffett coin? You know, make your own or something. What? Do something. But don't, uh, I'm not going to give you anything for it. And you'd be right, incidentally. But that explains the difference between productive assets and something that depends on the next guy paying you more than the last guy got. Now, certain things have value that don't produce something tangible. I mean, you can, you can say a great painting, you know, probably will have some value. 500 years from now, may not, but the odds are pretty good that if it was a big enough name at some point, there will be a few things. If somebody wants to sell you a pyramid or something and you can charge the viewers, or, you know, it'll be around a long time and, and won't produce anything, but, but, but uh, people will find it interesting to go there because I've read about the pyramids. But basically, assets to have value, they have to deliver something to somebody. Warren Buffett is a value investor, and he's been very clear on this over the years. He doesn't see any value in Bitcoin, any value at all. He sees no reason why Bitcoin wouldn't fall to zero, just as Luna did. Somewhere between Mark Jeffrey and Warren Buffett lies the truth of the matter. I doubt either of them are 100% wrong or 100% right. Both of them are likely both right and wrong. So given that, are you still feeling crazy to buy some Bitcoin? If you are, then you do need to know how. Now, for most people, this will mean going to a cryptocurrency exchange. There are several big ones that are international, and there are some smaller ones that are based here in Australia. You need to be careful here and go with an exchange that has a strong reputation. So go do some research. You're going to need to create an account with them and then transfer money into that account from your bank 
and then you'll buy some Bitcoin with the funds that you have transferred to the exchange. That's all fairly easy, although as with opening a bank account, you're going to have to go through an identification process because cryptocurrencies do get used to launder the proceeds of crime. I mean, think about things like ransomware. And so the exchanges very carefully identify you so that they don't run into any later trouble with the authorities. And when you buy those Bitcoin, you're going to want to put them somewhere safe, a wallet. But that's a topic for a later episode. For now, though, it's a good idea to keep something in mind. My two friends who lost their shirts on Luna, they both bought it for the same reason. They both got a hot tip from a friend. They didn't do their research. They didn't understand what they were buying, what Luna was, and how it worked. So they couldn't evaluate the risks. I've done what I can over the course of this episode to explain what Bitcoin is, how it works, and we've asked the experts whether it's a good or bad investment. And these are exactly the questions you should be asking about any cryptocurrency before you make an investment. If you can't answer these questions because you don't know enough or because the answers simply aren't there to be had, well, that's your answer right there. Don't buy it. Don't do what my friends did, because you'd have to be crazy to buy something on a hot tip. In our next episode of Are You Crypto Crazy, we take a look at the other big cryptocurrency, Ethereum. It's as different from Bitcoin as night from day. But is that a good thing? Does it mean that Ethereum is a bet on the future or on a utopia that will never come to pass? That's in our next episode of Are You Crypto Crazy? This episode of Are You Crypto Crazy was written and voiced by Mark Pesci, produced by Stuart Buckland for Ample, audio production by Justin MacArthur. Thanks to Mark Jeffrey for sharing his thoughts with us, and of course, the Wizard of Omaha, Warren Buffett. For more background on the topics mentioned in this episode, please visit our website at nextbillionseconds.com. The Next Billion Seconds is now powered by Ample Audio. Follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Outcast, and many other podcast platforms. This is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening. Ample. Hee hee. Is this thing on? Yeah, that's on. Don't touch that.